Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. In this world, a man himself is nothing. And there ain't no world but this one. You're on there, Top. I've seen another world. Sometimes I think it was just my imagination. Well, and you've seen things I never will. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back. Aren't you happy? I'm happy, because tonight we've got none other than Colin Frangicetto of Circa Survive, This Day Forward, the Cosmic Nod Podcast. We're going to cover it all. This is a good old friend of ours. We came up through the ranks of the Bucks County scene together, so it's going to be incredible i'm excited you don't sound that excited come have, on man well, well, i i haven't spoken to colin in a really long time i so i'm excited to talk to him but i'm also like i i, I interact with colin just on like facebook and instagram <laughs> like that's literally <laughs> it so like in my head like having a conversation with him like i don't think i, I haven't spoken to him since i've seen was when i last time i saw circa so like well, that's the only time I speak to him, pretty much. <laughs> 2019, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, he lived uh, in Seattle, and I think he's back in Philly now, so we'll talk to him about that, so oh, it's going to yeah. be good. I'm ready to go. I feel so much better than I did last Monday. Last Monday was a disaster. Tommy, do you know I almost delayed the show? Now, you know shit is bad if I push the show back. I almost just, like, pushed it back. Really? Yeah. I I didn't know it was that bad. Like I texted you yesterday, and I was like, or a couple days ago, and I was like, "How you doing? Like everything okay?" And we exchanged some music, and you didn't say anything, so I didn't, I didn't think anything was that bad. Yeah, last Monday was bad, but I got my ass out of bed and got a shower, and I was like, "No, we're doing this thing." And I felt much better after I did. Made some changes. Had a good day today. Got work done. Wasn't depressed all day wasn't uh not eating and you know just sitting around so i feel good about that in fact right before the show i went to my pizza place and i heard someone say keith and i like i'm like staring at the ground in my own world and i look up you know my friend i talk about who looks just like riley oh yeah 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 my friend drew it was him and then and like my brain is messed up because the last time i did drugs and hung out with all my friends like that guy was there and i kept calling him riley 
Oh. <laughs> so whenever I see him, I'm like, Drew, Riley, Riley, Drew. Oh. So uh, like my brain has to rewire. So I talk to him and he's like, oh, I thought you were moving to the Lower East Side. I was like, oh, no, no, relationship's over. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Just drop that bomb. Like, hey, how yeah. you doing? Yeah. Oh. I said it like that to be funny. But uh, <laughs> things are better. And folks... You know, I just wanted to address this real quick with you in case it's annoying because I know I talk about things with Tommy and then I can't really go into detail about it. But there's two things going on. One is dealing with the after effects of my relationship coming to an end. And two, there's some stuff going on with my family that's kind of tense. So those are the two things bringing me unhappy feelings as of late and out of respect for my ex, and my family. I can't go into great detail because I don't want to come on here and say anything negative or say anything that comes off as negative because my side of the story is only one side of the story. So, and if you listen enough, like, I guess you can kind of tell what's going on, but I'm dealing with it. I feel better. We're working through it. Times are tough, but I don't know, onward and upward. Yeah, to the stars and beyond. Let's go. Exactly. So... Got some work done today. Oh, I sold some music gear, which was very sad. What'd you sell? I sold the Marshall half stack. Oh, boy. Yeah, JCM 800. I'm giving away a cabinet that needs to be fixed. I just don't even want to deal with it. So I think someone's going to come pick that up. I'm trying to sell my Galleon Kruger bass setup. Uh, and I'm going to hold on to the guitars. What's the Galleon Kruger? Is that is that like 212? Two twelve inch speakers? I don't know. Oh. Someone asked me that on Craigslist today too. I'm like <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I see four speakers in the app, so Okay. Yeah. But it's nice. It's nice sounding. So if you're in the New York area and you're looking for a relatively inexpensive bass setup, hit me up through our Instagram. Do you still have a bass? No. Oh, okay. No. This equipment's been sitting in my house for years. And I realize I only have it at this point so people can come in and see that I have musical equipment. Like, <laughs> like I, haven't, I haven't had any need for it since we recorded the Basement Year album back in fall of 2018. And I need the money because, well, I need the money for something that may be coming up in a few months that I don't want to say too loud here. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's nice to have a little cash in the bank. I used to, I used to love that when I went down to your house. And a life once lost was off tour, and all the fucking equipment was just in the living room. <laughs> yeah. It was like my favorite thing in the world. I would just come over and be like, "Doug, what is this?" He'd be like, "Uh, that is a fifty-one fifty But and he would just, you know, Doug knows his shit like inside and out. So I'd be like, I would just sit there and like talk through it, like, "Fuck, what is this? What is that? Where'd you get these guitars from?" And when they got, uh, I don't know, they get endorsed by, uh, remember Framus? Yeah, they had those guitars. God damn, those things were nice. I love coming down there and playing guitar. That was really yeah, fun. Yeah, it was an entire house filled with gear. I talked to Doug uh, last week, too. Is he going to come on the show ever? Oh, I don't know. We were talking about hanging out this summer. Oh. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, I'm done. He actually texted me and said, uh, you know, hey, when, everything's, when, I, when you're done school, give me a call and come down and hang out at the new house. Oh. So. Well, you should have talked about the show. I mean, forget hanging out. This is show business. Friendships. Keith, that's the theme we've been going through. Is this the whole idea of this show is maintaining people's friendships? Like, like Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just messing around. But uh no, I feel good today. I ate some pizza. I'll eat some more after this is done. I'm not in a bad mood. 
I feel hopeful, which is great. That's and a good feeling. Yeah, spring is coming up. I'll be vaccinated by June, sometime in June. I'm looking forward to the future today. How about you? What's going on with you? Not much. I'm actually on my countdown to the end of the school year. Right now, as after today, we have 27 school days left. Um, That's it? Yeah. We're done Dude. June. June 18th is my last day of school. Uh, I'm getting really excited because I'm seeing a lot. Like, I have kids in the classroom, and now it's been t- two full weeks with kids in the classroom, and kids that were usually kind of like hesitant to like maybe speak up on a meeting or turn their camera on and be like, Hey, here's the work I did for this, you know, to solve this equation, or this is how I solve this problem. They're in class now. And I think a lot of those kids are kind of coming out of their shell. Like, cause I do a lot of like, Hey, who wants to do number nine up on the board? And like, I'll draw number nine, like, Hey, let's solve for the, you know, whatever this remaining angle is for this arc. And they're like, Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. And it's like, that's really cool to see kids get excited like that because a lot of their learning over the past nine months has been very passive. Like Mm -hmm. here's some problems. Let's see how they get done, work in a group together. And you know, some kids just go into those groups and they work by themselves and they don't really interact with anybody. So now they're back in a classroom and it's really excited. I'm, I'm excited to see kids get excited about learning. Like that makes me feel really good. It reminds me why I do what I do and kind of, revitalizes me a little bit like even though it's like you know we're looking at the end of this school year i'm like dude we still have 27 days like we're gonna fucking rock this out like you guys are gonna get much better at this stuff we're gonna be able to do some cool problems and then we're gonna do a big project at the end of the year to kind of like do like a kind of wrap up kind of thing of like what we've done throughout the year and it's gonna be really fun and i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be exciting well that's good see see how much hope and positive energy we have today oh and the dog's better the dog was having oh. that really bad, she was having that really bad cough. You would, oh, uh, so I went to go pick up her prescription. Do you know what my dog's prescription is for? Morphine? Uh, no, fucking close though. Apparently when dogs have uh, bron- like bronchitis, pneumonia, or any kind of like tracheal injury that in- inhibits breathing and they give them hydrocodone. Oh, that's trash. Well, not when you get 190 of them. <laughs> no, it's still trash. Is it really? Yeah. I don't know. I never do. I, whenever I take painkillers, I don't, I, it's always because like I got a tooth out or something like that. I never, I yeah, don't, I don't play around with them. At minimum, you need Percocet or something like that. So take the hydrocodone back, <laughs> exchange them for some Percocets, invite me over. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, my, my wife took the dog to the vet and she was like, uh, she got really sad. She sent me a picture and this is one of those things that's like, you reminded of how thankful we are that like the dog is healthy. Um, there was a, a family that was bringing a St. Bernard to be uh, put down, like to be put to sleep. Oh. And they were like bringing it out of the truck. Like oh, it was in like a big SUV and they had like a ramp for it and everything. And Kelly was like, I'm here and I'm watching this happen. And she's like bawling her eyes out. She's calling me and she's like, I'm going to send you a picture. I'm like, no, don't drag me down with you. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I don't want to be involved in this. Like I just, I was happy just like, you know, thinking like, oh, our dog's going to get better. And she's like, it's so sad. They're like sitting on a bench crying. And I'm like, wait a minute. They're not inside. And she's like, I don't think they can go inside. And in my head, I'm going, if there's one thing I've ever learned from people that worked in veterinary clinics, and I've known a handful of people that have worked in like veterinary medicine, the saddest thing is to watch a dog be put down 
but when they're like scared and frightened in those last moments to be alone with a stranger is the fucking worst thing in the world. If you're putting your dog down, you fucking stay. That's fucking, that's corny. Don't fucking leave that dog to die by itself. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that where I'm with the dog as it's being put to sleep. But but it's like they don't go by, they don't go through it by themselves. Like that dog like looks to you and depends on you. And it's like to leave it in its final moments, I think is. You can't do that. You can't, it's. You can't do that to the dog. No. After the dog is giving you nothing but love and devotion for its entire life, that's that's a that's a coward's way out. Don't don't be like, well, I can't see it happen. You fucking have to. Like that's yeah. life. Buy I, the in, ticket, take the ride. Exactly. Thank you, Hunter S. Yes. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> I just got real heated about that. I'm sorry. I just got. I just get mad when I see that stuff happen, and it's like, you know, when we put it, we had a basset hound for a long time, and we put that dog down, like. And I sat there and held her paws and, you know, rubbed her ears. And, you know, you, you, the dog looks at you like while it's happening. And they I don't you know, it, the way they do it, they, they don't feel any discomfort. But imagine their final moments. They're with a fucking stranger, like panicking, like, where's my family? What's happening? And now they're like, gone. and then they're just dead. Gone. Yeah. Like that's 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 fucking corny. Don't do that shit. I don't know if I was dying. I don't think I'd want my family around me. It would just be like added pressure. Like to give like a great final monologue? Well, no, because like that my family would be annoying me probably. They'd be like, why are you uh, dying now? This doesn't work for us. Why uh, did you make it? Uh, why, why are you doing this? Why, you know. I don't, I know for sure this is one of the things that I, I was not allowed in the room when my father was really, really sick. Cause he was in intensive care and my mom made sure like, you know, when he did finally come home, uh, like right before he passed away, uh, I remember seeing how sick he was and I was like, I almost didn't recognize him. And I remember my mom saying something like, you know, daddy's really sick. He might have to go back to the hospital, but I want to make sure you spend time with him. And I, as you know, cause I was five, I remember being like genuinely like kind of frightened because he looked like, um, like a shell of a person like his face was all sunken in his color wasn't right and it was like fuck dude like you remember that oh yeah i have very distinct memories of my dad and i i think the ones that all right so the i i I feel like we've talked about this before but it's like do you ever look like somebody that's gone for a long time and you see pictures of them and you go i remember that do you remember that or do you really remember the pictures or the stories people you have told, like have told you about them? Like I feel like sometimes I look at pictures of my dad and I go, I remember that. And I go, do I really remember that? Or do I remember my mom saying, Hey, when we took you to the zoo, your dad was there and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, um, I have the distinct memories of my dad coming home for the last time and he was extremely sick and very, very skinny. And I remember, my when i came home from school one day my mom and my aunt were sitting at the kitchen table and they told me that he died i don't remember much after that and then i i remember the funeral home i remember the what the wallpaper looks like in the funeral home i remember being in the funeral home as a five-year-old like pushing matchbox cars with my cousin casey yeah at five you can't process that oh no i i my mom told me in a way that was very understandable to me, but it was like, I still didn't understand the finality of it. Cause I still, rem- I remember having moments being like, cause my, the way my mom said it was, you know, 
he's not coming home anymore. And I was like, well, he goes to work all the time. Like he goes on business trips and she's like, no, like never, like he's never coming home again. And I was whoa. like, whoa, okay. Um, and it still kind of didn't seem real. Cause I remember being in, I remember being in like kinder. Uh, so I, that happened when I was in kindergarten. I remember being in first grade or second grade and they were about to do a project. It was the end of school and they were about to do a project for father's day. Oh no. And I, and I remember the nun like grabbed my hand and like pulled me aside. She was like, you're going to come with me. And they like took me to like where uh, the library was. And she like gave me a bunch of books and shit to play with. And I was like, what's happening. And then I came back and, and I remember this one kid who was in my class. His name was Sean. And he was like, yo, you didn't make a project. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what'd you guys do? And they made uh, like a goofy, like, you know, key rack, like a thing to hang your keys on for your dad. And I was like, Oh, they don't want oh. me to be here for that. Well, I'm, I'm very depressed now, so we're going to cancel the rest <laughs> of the show. We'll catch wait you to, next week. Wait, wait to start the show with like complete hope, and then <laughs> I, I just fucking take a goddamn nosedive into childhood death oh. and trauma, and yeah, oh, so. god damn it. Sorry about that. My bad, listeners. No, listen. This it's okay. We we got to talk about whatever comes up, but we're gonna we're gonna pull the joystick back and redirect this plane up into the sky. <laughs> And uh, have a nice conversation with Colin Frangicetto of Circus Survive. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. It might be. Right. Right. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> All right, folks. We're here now with Colin Frangicetto. Colin, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, it's excellent to have you. We've been working on getting you for a long time. There's been a lot of calls, texts, emails, <laughs> uh, managers arguing back and forth, riders <laughs> that have to be reviewed, but we got it done, and we're here. Love it. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Colin has his own soundboard, so get ready. <laughs> Yo, so uh, what's the deal? Did you move back to the East Coast? I did, yeah. Been here for like... Oh man, like uh, it'll be a week tomorrow. It's crazy, dude. We, uh, Sarah and I, we rented an RV and, uh, got our two cats and two dogs in there and just booked it across. Took us like five days. Where are you at now? I'm at my parents' uh, place right now. We'll be here for the next couple months. Um, basically we're selling our house in Portland right now, but we had to wait until we were kind of like out of there to do it. So our house is gonna, go up on the market this week i guess and then whenever that sells we'll be like shopping for houses here it's not gonna be it's not gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> the housing market's really strong right now though your house will sell very quickly yeah i mean it's really great for sellers but it's really bad for buyers and we have to be both so it's like we're gonna be have a great time selling our house and then it's gonna be like fuck tables are turned <laughs> we're kind of like looking all over the place um Honestly, it's probably just going to de depend like where we can get a, a deal and not get like totally fucked. Exactly. That's what it all comes <laughs> down to. But uh, Colin, what better place to announce your return to the East Coast than here at the Northeast Scene Podcast? It's true. This is why we waited, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. We're very happy to have you on the show because, you know, we love talking to the musicians we love, but we especially love talking to our friends who we don't get to talk to enough. So let's take it back a little bit. 
Let's do it. Tell us about growing up in Bucks County. I mean, how did you get into music? When did you discover you loved music? All that stuff. Sure. Growing up here was weird, man. I mean, I mean, some parts of it I think back like very fondly, and then other parts are just like total nightmares. And I think some of that has to do with the area, and some of that has to do with just you know me and I think typical um coming of age stuff but kind of had a weird time in school it's like i had a lot of friends but i also felt very much like an outcast and i think probably just because i was nice to everybody is is why i had a lot of friends um but i think uh, there was always this thing anytime i would sort of like drift into like a more like popular friend um type of circle i would I would find myself getting picked on and kind of getting the boot out of that circle pretty quickly. So it was like, I got very used to being alone and kind of drifting from friend group to friend group and not really, I think, you know, just being young. I I think I I really just didn't um, count on people to hang around very long. And, Mm -hmm. and that kind of really forced me inward a lot. Um, So I would, you know, draw a lot. And then also, um, music was a big thing. And I think, you know, I mean, my, I got turned on to music by my dad really young, just like him blasting, you know, rock and roll at the house. And my brother and I just kind of like running around being little crazy kids. Um, but I have a vivid memory of my parents calling me down to like watch, um, the music video for Van Halen jump. Yeah, uh, yeah, when I was very, very young, they were like, "Come down here, look at this, look at these guys jumping around," <laughs> and like, <laughs> I like there was something about that, like there's a, there was just some kind of magic about that video and the and the song and the energy of it that really I think sunk its teeth in me and and yeah, I think from that point on, I was just like a major fan of rock and roll. I mean, I guess I always was into a pretty large range of of music styles i mean i was always i was really into michael jackson when i was a kid and um really into you know like even like dire straits and weird pop music and stuff but something about kind of like wild loud rock music really did it for me um and then yeah like when i was starting to go through that stuff uh young uh at school like sixth seventh grade um that's when so, so I was at a, a kid's house. I was at this kid Brian's house and um, it was weird because he was like kind of like a really cool popular kid and I really wasn't at the time, but I think because we were on the same baseball team, I don't know, for some weird reason, like he liked me and like he'd invite me over, but then he would invite this other kid over and then they would like go out and like play without me. It was really weird. Um, but I like was obsessed with his older sister and wanted to hang out with her. And, uh, so she introduced me to like ween and Pearl jam before Pearl jam even had 10 out. They were just like a club band at the time. And she had a fake ID and was going to see these like rock shows. Um, she was playing me like these bootleg Pearl jam tapes. So like by the time 10 came out the next year when I was in like seventh grade, um, I was like, you know, I got it like right away and, was just kind of like obsessed with them and then kind of fell down the rabbit hole of like grunge music. And, you know, it just really, I don't know, it did something for me because it felt very much like, 
you know, Led Zeppelin was cool. Queen was cool, but they weren't my bands. And like when, so when I found Pearl Jam and, and then Nirvana and Soundgarden, that whole scene, it felt like, oh, this is like also my part of my identity now. It's not just like music I'm listening to. It's like a whole thing. And then sure enough, you know, like that, that music led me into punk because being obsessed with Pearl Jam, I was like, they were doing this uh, tour and at every city uh, they would do a stop at the radio station and then Eddie would DJ for like, I don't know, probably like an hour or two. Um, either after or before the show. I don't really know how it worked, but he played Fugazi and that totally changed my life. Like pretty much from that point on, it was like, I I had to figure out who Fugazi was. Once I did, it was like, Oh, what's this discord thing. And I started like trying to find that, that discord mark on all the other albums that were out there. And that led me to minor threat. And then that was it. It was like, Minor Threat definitely lit the fuse. Yeah, that you know the the whole alternative music boom I think was a big thing for a lot of people our age because that was the last really big era of rock and we were what 12 13 at the yep. time so it's that perfect age and there was so much good music at the time so much interesting music and so I was really into that I was starting to get into new metal because it was like that was the kind of starting to pop off and that was like the avant-garde like weird thing to do and i was into that and then once (laughs) i met you guys and discovered hardcore i was like this is it this is it i have found my calling (laughs) yeah totally i mean i mean it's really strange because in the middle of all that i you know it's like with the with the the grunge stuff i had found this um this friend group and they all wanted to play music and we we wanted to play music together so we started like a little like kind of like a cover band um we called it jamming spam <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and but like and like so many of them were jewish so they all had like bar mitzvahs and all of our friends had you know bar and bot mit- mitzvahs so there was a lot of like uh you know things to prepare for you know because our band just wound up playing all these all these events and uh yeah but those kids like we all discovered um fugazi together and got obsessed with like dc just like the whole dc scene and um oddly enough though like it would you know, we were too young to be like purist about it. So we were, we were really into like all everything alternative, everything weird. I remember being with those guys. It was like all within the same month. I feel like we discovered Fugazi Sunny day real estate. And then that was right around the time when rage against machines first album came out. And that totally fucking blew my mind. Like, uh, just how heavy they were and like how, and like Zach's scream and everything was just like it totally made me want to play music like that. And yeah, um, it was probably like maybe like I don't know. It wasn't for a couple of years after that that I discovered Inside Out and like then went down that whole rabbit hole. But um, you know, all these little like seeds planted along the way and starting to play music. Uh, and then uh, I think probably a couple of years after that, really getting into drugs and, uh, <laughs> you know, me, basically that was how I made friends at that point. It was like music and drugs were how I connected to people. And, um, that Same. got me through 
that got me through middle school and high school. So you started doing drugs in middle school? Yeah. Um, Damn, son, you got an early start. Yeah, pretty early. I mean... Um, Just smoking weed, I guess? No, it was acid that really changed everything for me. Like, I think... Um, you know, obviously, we led me there, but like, uh, I had no idea what I was getting into dropping acid for the first time. And I think like, you know, I was just really lucky that it it all connected in a very positive way for me. And um, yeah. it gave me it gave me like a, uh, I don't know, a way to be like, I really I mean, obviously, every every drug experience um, can can change you, um, but yes. that one, at you know, at fourteen, just really, I think, like, totally changed my DNA and made me feel like c- kind of okay with who I was. I didn't feel like it mattered if certain people liked me or didn't, and it made me so obsessed with like the act of creativity and just sort of um, more curious about different ways of 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 living, like. I'd already kind of felt really boxed in by the idea of like going to college and like doing kind of the normal thing. And I think I I just really trace it back to that first LSD experience and then obviously subsequent ones. But um, (laughs) that, that one, especially I feel like just cracked open this, like you don't have to go down that road. You can go some other really weird way and and do life your own way. And I don't know, I, I feel really grateful for that experience. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience when I was 18 with ecstasy. In fact, mm. this is the only time I've ever had an experience like that with drugs, where mm-hmm. it's this life-altering thing. Yeah. Every other drug, I just kept doing until I liked it. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then until I liked it way too much. But, mm-hmm. but that first ecstasy experience was what you described, where it, this makes sense, this is the way I'm supposed to feel, I didn't know you could feel this way, and yep. like... And I under and I understood like kind of how it can help with trauma because I mm. I had had plenty of that and never really addressed it so I was able to talk about all this shit that I had never talked about before and oh yeah yeah it was it was significant totally yeah I, I mean it's weird like I think a lot of uh, like so much positive stuff came out of drug experiences for me when I was young. But then obviously like there, there was a ton of negative stuff too. And, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to like, you know, uh, see where, where like the drugs were the problem or like the trauma was the problem, you know, for a lot of people that I was friends with and myself, it's like, I don't know you know, shit just happened. And, and ultimately I'm grateful for coming out of it the way I did. I know, I know that it didn't go that way for a lot of other people. So yeah, I mean, music as a, as a, you know, a partner to that, to those experiences, I think really kind of like, I don't know, it was like a a life, life preserver or something. It always kind of like made me feel like, cause I don't know if you get really into drug culture, it's really easy to feel like, like, life is just fucking like this void of like meaning, you know, everything's meaningless. And, um, yep. I mean, even without drugs, I can feel like that any, any given day these days, you know? So, um, <laughs> music, music can really, I think music and art in general, I think for me has always been this, um, guiding light that makes me feel like life's worth living. A hundred percent. And I started with the drugs a little too early, I think. So it, 
while music was always so important to me, I feel like drugs always became more important. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to shows, and yeah, I want to be in a band, but you know, if I have my last fifty dollars, I'm not going to buy a guitar. I'm going to buy drugs. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it kind of it kind of took hold. But yeah, ultimately, music and art and the collective of people and creating is really where it's at. And I think if uh, drugs can be peppered in there, and you don't go too crazy with it, then yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's totally a thing that, you know, there's been a very uh, steep lear- learning curve over the years of how it's such a unique thing. And it's something for like every person has to kind of figure that out for themselves of what that combination looks like for them. And for some people, it's just way better if the drugs are not involved, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, um, and I think for me, being being a person who collaborates with a lot of other people, it was an important lesson for me to learn that like my own my own you know investigations, uh, you know, altering my own consciousness, it, it it's more important to be supportive of those who I'm collaborating with, especially those who I'm basically living with, um, than it is to choose those experiences. So you know, I found myself in in a place where it was just really important for me to, to be sober or um, at least for the most part sober and supportive than it was to be, you know, going down my own rabbit holes at times. So that's interesting. And this is something I wanted to ask you about, because I'm interested in, in your philosophy and how you handle this stuff, because me, I'm like your textbook. If I have one drink, like I'm, I'm jumping on the phone and making calls until I find the shit I really want to get, you know? Right. Right. Like there's, there's, I can't mediate. I can't control it. Once I start, I don't stop until I'm dead or almost dead. Right. So, so you just mentioned like you have to be in a situation where you want to get high, but you can't. So like, can you just shut it off? Can you just be like, uh, I can't get high for the next month. So I'm not going to. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just something I've always been able to do. And you know, there there have been times in my life where I was struggling myself with, you know, just really um, self-medicating and not facing my own problems. And, you know, yeah. I mean, there was probably like a good three to four years of the band where I would drink, you know, uh, uh, like almost a full bottle of Seagram 7 by the, you know, by the time the night was over every day. I did that Damn. for like years. Um, and so... At a certain point, I was definitely physically addicted to alcohol and really, uh, yeah, I, I drank heavily for a few years. And that was, I mean, I can so clearly see how, how, like, how linked it was to my mindset and just where I was. I wasn't facing any of my own issues and that was just getting me through, you know, um, but for the most part, most of my relationship with substance has been like, I, I wouldn't say take it or leave it because I was, I, I'm definitely more pro substance than I am pro sobriety, but I would right. say I'm more pro, oh, that's a terrible term. I was going to say pro life, but I'm not, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> fucking kill everybody. I'm not pro life. Yeah, no, no. Um, no, but like, you know, like I, it's more important to me that my friend stays alive than it is for me to get high. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So you're physically addicted to alcohol at one point. Yeah. Did How did you stop and can you still drink now and yeah. regulate it? Yeah. 
And I think the reason why I can is because, like I said, I was in such a um, dark place personally at that at that point, and then it became just my way of coping with, um, you know, the the life of just like never being home, like constantly missing people, constantly feeling like exhausted, constantly feeling stressed, and and then yep. dealing with like my own. You know, I have pretty um, extensive anxiety issues when it comes to just, you know, just being around people in general. But then on on top of that, performing every night um, at the levels that, you know, we were we were getting a lot bigger, like very fast, you know, like the band just kept yep. growing at a, at a clip that I really wasn't prepared for. And yeah and I think, yeah, I don't know. It was just so much easier to just kind of like obliterate uh all my senses and just be this kind of like slobbering mess, you know um <laughs> i mean it, i would I was very methodical about it too though you know I, I knew exactly how much to drink before I would play to get to, to get me to that place where I could just you know i I played great, that's the thing you know like i never I never drank like past a certain level until after the show. And it was mm-hmm. like, I, I would drink extensively throughout the day all the way until we would play because my tolerance would be up and I would be drinking whiskey and water. So I wouldn't have hangovers and, and it was just like mixing. Oh, and of course I was prescribed Adderall for like my whole life. So, yeah. you know, Adder- Adderall <laughs> plus alcohol you know, is a pretty amazing combination. Yeah. Um, you, you, it basically makes you like superhuman for a certain amount of time. And yep. um, yeah, so so I did that for a really, really long time. And then eventually I had to come off of it. And um, yeah, it wasn't fun. It definitely sucked. Uh, and, and luckily it was like, we've been really, really lucky with timing in our band, you know, where, you know, somehow it's just like we take it to the limit and someone in the band is getting to the point where they might break or fucking die. And then all of a sudden we have this break that comes up and you know, we have a talk and so, and people get their shit together. And, uh, you know, the thing that was kind of dangerous about me is that I would never get to the point where, I mean, I would be blacked out most of the time and Mm -hmm. I never, I didn't have those kind of demons that would make it super obvious to other people. So it was like, I would get blacked out almost every night of the week and no one ever thought I had a problem because I wasn't like pissing in someone's shoes, you know, (laughs) like I never like picked fights with anybody. I never got in trouble with the cops. Like I never did anything to where anyone was like, Hey man, we got to have a talk, you know? Uh, It was just like, Oh, that's Colin just giggling in the corner or he's just, you know, puking and he'll be fine in 10 minutes or whatever. And that, that really was how it was for me for a really long time. And then eventually I just had to like realize myself, like, this is not good. Like I, I, you know, not being able to go on stage unless I had, you know, like three or four like drinks was like ridiculous, you know, uh, just, just felt terrible. Like, it was just like, man, it's kind of pathetic. Like I, I need that to go on stage. Like, cause you'd find yourself like in fucking Germany or wherever. And you're like, uh, can somebody get me booze? Cause I don't even have like the, the currency to buy it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, you just get in this place where you realize, Oh fuck, I need that. Otherwise I'm going to have a terrible show. And that would make me 
realize like, oh, this is bad. Like I can't go yeah. on like this. So, um, yeah, I can't really, you know, it took me probably like, I don't know, man, like eight, you know, seven or eight years before I would like actually drink hard alcohol again. Like even in, even in, you know, just like a, a little bit, um, it was kind of like, all right, I'll have a beer now and again, but that was kind of it. And I, um, for the most part would just smoke weed. Um, but yeah, I mean now I can like, you know, totally have a whiskey or whatever, but I never have the urge to take it much further. And I mean, Honestly, I can like drink a glass of wine and feel hungover the next day these days. So um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a total baby when it comes to that. Yeah. You know, I think about this a lot. I'm kind of jealous of people who just kind of worked it out and they can still mm-hmm. do this or do that and everything seems okay. Cause I don't, I'm like you. I, well, depending on who you talk to, I was either a complete mess or I, or I was like, I had it all together. Like you talk to some friends and right. say, oh yeah, Keith is the craziest person I know. But if you talk to Tommy, he'll say like, yeah, I didn't think you ever had a problem. Right. But I don't think most people saw the worst of how it got for me because I was pretty much alone when it was like that. Yeah. But it was, it was pretty close to, if I would have kept going the way I was going, I definitely would have at least overdosed or, or died. Mm-hmm. So I'm too afraid to figure out if I could manage anything. And I've tried. I've tried so many times over the years, like, I'll just drink, or I'll just do this, or, I, or I'll or i take this drug out of the equation. I've done every combination of everything you can imagine, and I don't want to try it again. <laughs> I, it's, you know what's so funny is, like, Keith, I we've had this conversation before, but Keith, like, gets, like, you know, he's like, how do you... Because, Colin, honestly, like, what you said is almost mirror image of what's happened to me. Mm. Like, uh went off the rails there for a little bit um but i was always able to maintain because like you said i always had a formula like i knew how much i could have that would get me to where i want the way i wanted to feel but not let on about how much i had actually had and for me i think i can still go back to it and like you know have a beer or have a drink uh because I've been to those depths before where it's like I that ultimate moment for me uh, is like, you know, being waking up and being hungover when you're younger is like, oh, man, I'm so hungover. Whoa. Like, I think I woke up hungover one time and my my daughters were young. I think they were like maybe a year or two old. And I remember being like, I feel hungover and I usually feel like depressed about this or feel like kind of like, I can't believe I did this again. The moment for me was like, fuck, I feel nothing. Like I didn't feel anything. And I was like, I think I, I broke part of my soul. Like, I feel (laughs) like I, I broke something that was really important. Like, um, because I think that was a lot of it was like, you know, I, I, it was the escapism of like, I have kids, I have a full-time job. I have this career. I have to maintain this. I have to pay these bills. Like all these things that are going on. It's like, when I would drink, I would drink again. It was like always here by myself. Oh, I'm going to play guitar. Or I'm going to play Nintendo. And it was like, you know, I'd wake up the next morning at six with the kids and be like, fuck, that sucks so bad. I feel like trash. Like, I can't believe I did that again. And then I had that moment of like, this is not functional. Like this doesn't, I can't, I can't go on like this. So I just stopped completely. And, uh, 
like, you know, I've gone back and had like a, you know, a beer or have a, you know, a drink or two like at Christmas and stuff like that with my sisters. But I, I really, I don't miss it. Like there's nothing about it that I go, I can't wait to get drunk. Like it's, it's never come. It's never been like that before. Oddly enough. I mean, my, 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 I've had a lot of experiences with addiction, but uh, for the most part, it's never been to, you know, a super hard substance. I mean, the alcohol thing was kind of like this weird anomaly for me. And then, you know, I had a severe addiction to cigarettes um, that, you know, for many, many years. And I now haven't, I haven't, man, I'm like probably like six years, seven years. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, and for for me, I mean, the way I trick, uh, the way I quit smoking cigarettes was a combination of like, you know, I think willpower, but ultimately the first thing that really helped me was just taking a massive dose of mushrooms, and uh, <laughs> I had I had a full on, you know, basically like a, a an addiction, um, an addiction themed trip that I went into like specifically because I wanted to quit cigarettes and I felt like I couldn't and. It was like now anytime I'm feeling any kind of like twinge of like um, addiction with something, which for me, it pops up a lot with like uh, TV or or like my phone. Um, yeah. It's like, um, you know, I think back to that trip and, and just how I had this weird vision of myself like in bondage in like just covered in tar. And it was like <laughs> this it was like this fucked up weird, but it was like the most perfect thing it was like exactly what i needed to see to show me that like i was i was not in control and i just needed this thing so badly but ultimately all that thing was was like this mask for my pain and you know stuff that i wasn't willing to like look at um and just kind of deal with so for me i'm always like why why am i constantly refreshing my phone today you know what's going on with me or whatever it is you know it gives you that consciousness of like, look, this is something I need to be like thinking about and I'm cognizant of. So let's, let's keep it in check. Colin, just real quick. When you say massive dose, like what, like how many grams? Were you <laughs> oh, of at that point, that was probably like, that was probably just an eighth. I mean, honestly okay. for me, that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive when it comes to mushrooms, but um, yeah, I mean, at the time, yeah taking you know three and a half grams by myself was definitely like as a ordeal it was <laughs> it was definitely a lot i've uh also tried to use drugs to get off of drugs <laughs> and uh well i'm coming up on four years clean and sober so we know how that worked out yeah well done well you done. always think about you ever see that thing about those people that uh go to that thing in i think it's in south america and they take that ayahuasca did I did that? it. Yeah. Did you? How was that? Wow. Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, or simplify it. It was just so intense. Uh, I yeah. I went to Peru uh, with a friend. Um, it was something I prepared for for like almost ten months. I was I went to like an underground psychedelic therapist uh, every every week and learned like a whole different kind of therapy that I never heard of before, uh, called internal family systems. And, uh, totally, I mean, I honestly, I think the therapy changed me more deeply than the ayahuasca did, but, um, but that experience was uh, amazing and definitely life changing for sure. Um, and I was with like 
35 other people or so um, every every ceremony. And we did five ceremonies in seven days. And it was uh, very intense. And I was around people who were, you know, you know, everything from heroin addicts to people who were mourning um, the loss of a spouse to people who were dealing with like an, um, you know, end of life diagnosis, like so many different reasons why they came. And it was pretty incredible to see how healing the experience was for pretty much everyone across the board. It was, it was wild. Does anybody like uh, trauma check each other there? Like, why are you here? And then a guy's like, "You're a fucking tourist, man. You're a fu- yeah." Like a yeah. guy's like, "My wife died. Why are you here?" And you're like, "Oh, I'm just checking it out." And then they shun you. Is there any of that going on? Um, not really. I mean, you know, I have to say, it was like, like some of the nicest people I've ever met were were at that um, retreat. I, I might have just gotten lucky, but it was like um, there were people there from like every single continent. So it was like it was a, a really there was like you know um, translators there and stuff and. Um, you go in pretty humbled and kind of like everyone's nervous and within, you know, after the first ceremony, the next day, everyone kind of sits, you have like this integration circle for four hours the next day and everyone just kind of gets to go around and talk. And yeah, it was extremely bonding. And I think there is definitely like a pretty, you know, there was like this attitude of like everyone has their own reason for being there, regardless of like what they tell you. And, Mm -hmm. um, and some people maybe, you know, I think there was a lot of people that didn't really feel comfortable going super into why they were there until maybe like the second or, you know, third thing. And, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. I don't know. It was a really wild thing that I don't think I'll ever do it again. And I'll never go to Peru to do it again. Um, (laughs) just cause I think like, you know, you use a lot of resources to do that. And it's kind of, it's kind of insane. Are you out in the elements when you're there? Are you in like a kind of like a air conditioned, nice place? Or is it like you're in the fucking jungle and it's fucking hot? Oh, we're in the jungle. Um, but, but, uh, you know, you're only, it, it really depends on where you go. I mean, the place that we were at, uh, was really nice. Definitely no air conditioning, um, but uh, protected from critters, uh, at least while you're drinking. And um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're out there. We were definitely out in the jungle. It was we were, it was nuts. I couldn't be hot tripping. I couldn't. Be. <laughs> How long does that last? Um, so the average is is around uh, six hours. So it's like four to six hours, and. Uh, I had, I had one night though, that I went for about 18 hours and, (laughs) and, uh, I don't know what the deal is, but like sometimes just the way you metabolize it is different. And Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll tell you something else. They'll say, you know, it stops when it, when it thinks you need to stop. But, um, you know, it was like very, uh, unexpected, like, whoa, holy fucking shit. I'm still going. And, um, (laughs) yeah. yeah, that was that was definitely the most challenging experience I've I've had to date, probably. Eighteen hours—that's like a nightmare. Because I've done LSD, and actually, the last LSD experiences I had were nice because we were out in the woods and we had a cabin and stuff. But I was a mess, and I was on a bunch of other drugs too. So I I would always like my mindset was always like when I'm done, I'm done. So I would I would always bring like a very dangerous downer with me. To- <laughs> 
to be like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to do this now. And I'm going to shut it down. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to black out now. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can't do that with ayahuasca because it's, um, it's really, really sensitive with your, your whole like serotonin stuff. So like before you even do it, you have to kind of detox. Uh, I, that was actually how I stopped taking Adderall. I, um, stopped, I had to stop for that because it's like really life threatening if you have it within, I think they make you stop within like a month and just to be safe, I stopped two months prior and then just never, never went back. You know, I even like told, I told the shaman specifically that that was one of the things that I would, I really wanted because they ask you like, what do you want to work on? Like what's, what's your intention and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I feel like, I can't really function without this medication and I'd really like to stop. And, uh, so that was, that was interesting. I, I think it's nice to hear, cause I hear stories about this all the time. I think it, I, it's interesting to hear it actually working for somebody because, yeah. you know, I, in, in the circles I run in, you hear the same story all the time, basically. And, and I, I'm okay with that. I like that. It's my story. I want to hear that story, but Sure. It's also good to hear it from the other side where these things benefited somebody and mm-hmm. helped them get through some difficult things. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think, you know, it's certainly not something I would ever recommend anyone do on their own or like just kind of like, oh, let me see if I can just find some ayahuasca and just like take it. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. Know. Um, but like when you're around people who really are genuinely invested in your well-being and they want to help you kind of make breakthroughs. I mean, for me, it was like, you know, the therapy was a huge part of that, you know, really doing all this super deep uh, therapy before I even got to Peru helped me have a better experience there. Because I think a lot of times people go into psychedelic experiences and, you know, I, I had fucking ton of them where I didn't even think for a second beforehand. It was just kind of like, you know, fear and loathing style. Like, let's just take some drugs and see what happens. Fuck it. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, later on realizing that there were like some of these therapeutic effects that I could um, glean from it and that it was more about preparation than anything else. um, It totally changed the way I looked at it. And and especially with the way I looked at it in regards to um, people who struggle with addiction, um, cause I've seen it help other people. It's definitely not like a panacea. It can't just like, you know, I don't think it's the cure for everybody. I don't think it's the right thing for everybody, but I do think that when all hope is lost and someone is, is, you know, tried everything and they're really, um, looking for another way, I do think that it's worth trying with people that know what they're doing and, and, and care about you. Yeah, don't go to some basement shaman's house and just <laughs> no, wing it. Do it in like a, if you're going to do it, do it in some kind of really controlled, researched kind of way. Yeah, exactly. I, I was yeah. going to say, don't even do, like, I, Colin, you said it, like, kind of perfectly, but, like, there's been those times in my life where I'm, like, just out somewhere and somebody's like, hey, do you want this? And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, yeah, it's, uh, and I'm like, okay, cool. And they give it to you in a Visine eyedropper. And you're like, <laughs> ah, that was too much, I think. God damn it. And what was that again? Fuck. How long? 12 hours. Fuck. All right. Like uh, that type of like mentality going into it is just, that's why people, you know, talk about like, oh, I had a bad trip. It's like, okay, so what preparation did you do? Like, did you do anything to like kind of get your head around like what was going to happen? Cause like, 
you know, I smoked we, a bowl before. Is that yeah, count? You know, like yeah, I went to the bar with my friends, and then this kid had it. Like, oh, stop. I got drunk and did coke and did heroin <laughs> before. Yeah, no, I, I, I also think like, um, it's, it's one of those things that, especially when I think about like my experiences with stuff like that, is movies and TV had lied to me so much about what a psychedelic experience was. Like, I was waiting, you know, I was waiting for like dragons to come out and swords to be flying and like cool shit to be happening and it's like no i got a lot of closed eye visuals the room breathed a little bit and i got really introspective i spent a lot of time thinking like uh that's not what people like it's this kind of like we see it in media all the time where it's like this glorified like you you go into almost like this dream state where you're seeing things that aren't happening and i'm like I I've never had anything even remotely similar to that. I've had times where uh, I think I've shared this on here. I, I did it in college and I remember I got really panicked because I was looking at a flower in my, my backyard and you know, like the aperture on a camera where it does that like, and it kind of moves out further. Um, it did that while I was looking at this flower. And what got me really nervous was it took up all of my vision so like I was wa- I was waving my hand next to my head to like check my peripheral vision and I didn't have any. Yeah. Like all I could see was that and I was like okay this one might be different. <laughs> like <laughs> might need to call somebody. I got to sit down. <laughs> yeah. I mean I I've definitely had the the whole range. I mean I've had the thing that you described which is just you know you're not really getting these cartoon visuals or anything. You're just getting very introspective or you're seeing maybe like um textures on on everyday reality. Uh, but then I've also had full on, like, you know, uh, with ayahuasca specifically, I had full on, like, I'm not there anymore. I'm in another realm, like seeing some extremely vivid hallucinations that were, uh, honestly, I still to this day are, they're kind of like haunting and mystifying, like how did that come out of my brain? I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Like I, there's no way my brain could make up that geometry. Like, I don't, I don't get it, you know, like, uh, in a great way. I think it's kind of like one of the things that makes it special. Um, but yeah, I don't know. All this stuff's really fascinating, but the thing that's really interesting to me is that the more, the more I felt like I had healing experiences with psychedelics, the less I wanted to even, even smoke weed or even drink alcohol casually. Like I've like, especially since ayahuasca, like my intake of substance has declined drastically. Um, so I think there is some kind of connection to, you know, if you have a way to get to what drives you to want those experiences, um, and you can face it without substance. Um, I think you'll just see like, you don't have to try hard to not do it. You'll just have less of a desire to, you know? Yeah. So, Colin, I have to bring up some important business now that we're here together. <laughs> Let's do it. Are you ready for this? Sure. This day forward. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's get into it. Now, you know, if I want something to happen, I just have to ask. Now, number one, I want to get your take on potential talks of of reunion shows sometime in the future. And number two, I want to push for a Circa Survive cover of a This Day Forward song for the Patreon. So let's talk first about reunion rumors. Where do you stand? What are your thoughts? 
And uh, what conversations have you had? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had a few conversations now over the years. Um, I think I've, I've, you know, uh, ran the entire range of emotions when it comes to it. Um, but the most recent talks, uh, probably like, wow, crazy. It feels like it was like two seconds ago, but I think it was like two years ago. I was pretty open to it. Uh, just, it, it was like logistics, like, how do we make this work? Cause I was in Portland and, you know, already in this place where, you know, my, my, my existence before moving back, um, on a normal year prior to the pandemic was pretty, um, pretty stressful. I mean, as far as like, I, I got pretty uh, protective over my time off, I guess you could say, because, yes, you know, every time Circa would tour, it, I, I would tour for two to three weeks longer than everyone else because I had to fly out prior to the tour to rehearse with everybody. And then, you know, the tours would always route back to Philly. Um, so everyone else would end up at home at the end of the tour and then I would have to fly home. Um, so there was just a lot of like, when I was off and especially given that I have a lot of other interests, like, you know, visual art and, and just things that require planning it was really difficult for me to be like, yeah, fuck it. Like, let's like do, let's do, you know, two this day forward shows. And, and that'll just cost me like three months of my life or four months of my life. Cause I right. have to, you know, get a drum set and like get good at, at drums again. And then figure <laughs> that was going to be my question. I was like, can you still play? Like, I can have still you play, played? but I mean, I would definitely, I would, I would not just be like, yeah, let's go. You know, like I would, <laughs> I would yeah. need, I would need uh, some dedicated time that I wasn't um, stressing about other stuff. And I think also, you know, I mean, people like, just think like, oh, well, Circa's huge and you guys are all good and everything must be easy. And it's like, dude, like, you know, for me, the other things that I love, like visual art and and my, like my Patreon and all that stuff, like it's, it is all stuff that I love doing, but it's also majorly part of my grind and how I like support myself and my family. And so to take a, like away from that stuff and then focus on playing you know, hardcore songs on the drums um, and, you know, trying to figure out when am I going to be able to fly out and when are we going to be able to make these shows happen? That's all stressful. I mean, but ultimately I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I'll do it. Like, um, yeah. And that makes perfect sense because the way my life is structured now, I, I'm very into my routine. I have certain things that I do. So like, I would love to be in a band right now, but I, if if an opportunity came up, I don't even know that I would do it because I'm like, well, how am I going to have time between work and the podcast and just wanting my time? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then also you really, you want it to be a good experience, right? It's like, yes. I feel like for me, the thing that was always the most important was like, all right, if we ever, if we ever do get back together to do a show or whatever, um, like, I really hope it's for a good reason. And like, I really hope that it's like either us just doing it for fun because we feel like, all right, this is going to be a blast or like there's a real good, meaningful reason why we're doing it to help others or something. I mean, for me, 
the the worst thing that could happen is we're like let's do a reunion show or a couple reunion shows or whatever and then it becomes this super fucking stressful thing that we're all bummed about that we then don't sound good and then nobody shows up <laughs> it's like yeah. you know like all these things are potential like for me it's like i want to have fun i want all of us to enjoy it and i want i don't want it to take away you know, I, I think the word legacy is weird and I'm sure people would, would like even laugh at me using that word. But like for me, I love the TDF legacy and I love the way we went out. And I really feel like to reopen that box, like I would really want to do it the right way. You know, I've seen a lot of bands get back together and it just kind of be sad. And, you know, yeah. that sucks. Like, I don't want to do that. There's no reason to do that. Right. So for me, it's like now that I'm living over here and, you know, there's going to be a lot more time, you know, it's totally way more potential for it to happen in a way that could be, you know, we don't, we don't have to like really uh, struggle as much because, um, everyone's on the East coast now. Well, except for Vadim, but like, you know, that was the thing, you know, it was like, working around Vadim and me like just made it really really hard and now we would always all we'd have to do is work around Vadim and Vadim is very flexible when it comes to this stuff and he's really you know he still you know plays guitar all the time and knows exactly he's a pro like I'm I'm confident he could just show up and be ready to go yeah but again for me the most important thing would be that we're having fun and that there's a reason to do it. And I think, you know, it was like, we started talking about it, um, a couple of years ago or whatever it was, whenever the anniversary was. And, uh, it was like within like, I don't know, like five text messages. We, it was so obvious that none of us were on the same page. And I was just <laughs> like, I was like, Oh my God, like this literally feels like we haven't missed a beat. <laughs> and it just was so funny but i was just like yeah i don't know i mean i was i wasn't the one that backed off of it but um you know i don't know so anyway my my official comment is i'm open to it um and then when it comes to the covers like yeah totally i mean we've been doing the, the most bananas weird ass shit on on the circuit patreon it's been really fun yeah imagine a circus survive cover of this day forward's voice dude Bro. I mean, Anthony would be so into it. He's always he's literally said that we should cover that song for like years. All right, so. let's get it done. Come on. Hey, I'm down. All right, I'll start out. Uh, add me into the circa group text, and uh, in addition to pushing for the this day forward reunion, I will I will get this going as well. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, how do you look back on the legacy of this day forward? I know. I was thinking about this today. I know things were tense at the end. I, I have this memory of you, Colin, like this day forward, there's your sound changed a little bit on the last record and mm-hmm. I'm out there touring with you guys. And I remember like the record wasn't selling as much as you wanted maybe. And you were just like, why isn't anybody buying it? You were like kind of freaking out. And I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> and I remember you were talking about flaming lit. Like you were just so focused on the music and wanting it to work. And I remember we were talking about flaming lips and you were like, yeah, they were around for this long. And then they made it to this point and they were okay. So if they can do it, I can do it. And just like, how, (laughs) how do you look back on that now? Wow. I mean, I don't even have that memory, but I, you know, I don't doubt it at all. I mean, I think, you know, 
we we were so fucking young and the shit we were going through was so uncharted for all of us you know we were so we were so green when it came when it came to like the music industry and just how it all worked and you know i think ultimately it was like it wasn't like being a popular band or being like you know or selling a bunch of records that was like what at least for me it wasn't what i wanted necessarily what i wanted was just like freedom like i just wanted to like be able to make music full time and not stress yes. out about anything like i just wanted to basically do exactly what circa did in our on our first record which was like you know we got to move into a house together and we got to like pay our bills off the band and just live and like that's all i ever wanted to do i remember you talking about that back then that was always like a vision of yours like everyone moves into a house together and we work together and record the record together yeah it just seems so simple in my head it's like oh well five people paying rent sounds crazy but like five people paying you know the rent of one house seems very easy if you're a band that can make that in one night and it was like in my head it, it, it just was like communal living just made the most sense and it was like and then we'd be able to like jam and record anytime we wanted and like that's just you know in my head band house and just being a family it was like that made the most sense but tdf could never really jump over that first hurdle of like just getting to the place where we could like make that a reality um you know we were we were just really grinding hard and the record didn't hit the way that we hoped it would and um that the label hoped it would and i think i mean to be honest i think that if we would have given it some more time it probably could have but the real problem was that we were burnt and um specifically brendan hit a wall and just couldn't i don't i don't think it it was making him happy and um i mean we were all struggling with you know, in one way or another. But I think for him specifically, he was just feeling a lot of anxiety being out on the road and feeling like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, and I think as we all started going through the stress of being out for that long and feeling the kind of rejection we were feeling, you know, we were playing to like thousands of people a night opening this massive tours and selling like three CDs, you know, and that was like soul crushing. And at a certain point, you know, you can only max out so many credit cards to, to tour, you know, you know, all of us were going into like severe personal debt to just keep going. So it just became untenable. And I think when Brendan, you know, had a conversation with Mike and was like, you know, I, I don't think I don't know if I can do this anymore. What do you think? And Mike was already there himself. I think that was it. And once the two of them kind of came to me and told me that they, they were feeling like it was done. I didn't even question. I was just kind of like, yeah, we should let it go. So it was like dominoes. One person tells one person tells one person. And then it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, me too. Let's stop. I mean, we were at like our lowest point too. You know, it was like, I've been in that situation where you're, you're fighting so hard for this thing. And you're like, it has to happen. 
This yeah. is my destiny. This is what has to happen. And it's just not happening. And I went through this with my last band. Like, I struggled so hard to keep it together. I had tryouts. I'm, I'm on Craigslist trying to find people. And I'm just trying, trying, trying to hold this thing together. And it just, it just doesn't work. For yeah. whatever reason, it's just not working. And then it's so sad when you have to let it go. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you come to acceptance and you move on to the next awesome thing, which you did. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so hard, but like, I, I honestly, um, for me, the timing of when they came to me and told me, like, it couldn't have been more perfect. You know, it was kind of just like, I had had such a rough, like, just couple weeks, like we were at the tail end of the t- Take Action tour, and like, things were just so rough for us on that tour you know, I was looking at the math and I'm like, this, we cannot sustain like this, like, this is just not going to work and something has to give. And I think at that point, just a lot of interpersonal stuff was going on. People were like bickering a lot and fighting a lot. Mike was like kind of losing his shit at a certain point, you know, like he was, um, going off the deep end in some ways. And then also just struggling a lot performance wise and having a lot of like, I think just anxiety, um, which I was probably partially my fault because like I was, he would constantly come to me, um, just with vocal stuff, you know, feeling, you know, feeling like insecure or like, or like wanting to work on certain things or whatever it was. But, you know, at a certain point we just had like communication breakdown. And, um, I think, yeah, I think I, for me, it became this thing of like, we need to break up or we're like not going to be friends anymore, you know? Yeah. And that was, that was what really like, that was what was in my head. And I think being someone who I've always been able to let things go in, in that way, like, you know, relationships, um, you know, death, all that kind of stuff. It's not, it's not that it doesn't affect me. It does, but it feels like it's meaningful that it's supposed to happen because it's the only thing that kind of creates growth. And I don't know, it just felt like, all right, this is it. And I, I did not think I was going to go on to do more music. I actually thought I was done. I felt actually pretty traumatized, like pretty heartbroken after that. And was just making music myself a little bit. And uh, yeah, the the whole thing with Anthony and, all, and, and, and everybody, like it just really kind of came as a surprise. And I don't know that there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of good decision-making early on with Circa. And I think we you know we, we just got lucky in a lot of ways. It seemed like a perfect collision of events and yeah. people almost otherworldly. Yeah. So after this day forward, you weren't like, oh, I'm going to jump in and start another band. You were you were potentially done? Yeah, I was potentially done. I went back to school and I was, uh, so I was, I was back at Bucks and uh, trying to finish my degree. And I was like, I, I, I had, actually was taking like 18 credits. So like I was trying to like, I was trying to finish my <laughs> degree. And um, so, so I was kind of like, I was going to Vince's on the side, just myself, um, just kind of for like, like therapeutic, like I'm going to make a solo record or something. And I was, I was recording, I was recording like these full band, um, tracks with Vince and Vince was just like, you're going to sing on this. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> like, he did, like, like in a lot of ways he was kind of call, calling my bluff because like I didn't have vocals yet for it. Um, 
and I was trying to work up the courage to like sing on it and stuff. And I was going to, but, uh, anyway, yeah. So I wasn't, and he could kind of tell that I wasn't like super serious about it. I was just like, you know, pretty much just doing it as to have another creative outlet. And yeah, so I was back at school and then, uh, Anthony came home on a fucking, like basically Seo Sim was doing their, doing their thing. And he was frustrated with the band and he came home, I'm pretty sure for like a dental visit or something. Like he had to go get like we, dental. He got, came home to get his wisdom teeth out. Yeah. So he was yeah. doing that. And then also I think he was homesick and just kind of like wanted a reason to come home or whatever. And, uh, I mean, for all I know, there could have been drugs involved too. I am not really sure, but like, uh, the whole thing made sense in my head. It's like, yeah, sure. You're going to come home and get your wisdom teeth out, whatever. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then, then he was like, you know, Hey, we should jam. We should jam. We should make it. We should, you know, write some stuff or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I've been working on all this weird stuff and I've been, I played him all this electronic music that I've been making. And he's like, yeah, this is, he's like, dude, I want to start a band like this. I was just like, like this? Really? I was like, but, but you're going to be like the next Nirvana. Like, like, like Sayosin, like to me, I was like, they are, they are about to be the biggest band in the world at this point. And I was just like, and I was their biggest fan. I was just like, dude, what are you talking about? Like why? I just thought, you know, like Anthony talks a lot. And like, he always would say stuff like that. And like, he just loves to jam and he loves to hang out with friends. And, and he and I especially had the the best time ever hanging out because we would always just like get high and do whatever. But at that point he, he was kind of clean and, um, or at least like presenting that way. And like, um, <laughs> you, you know, I never really know the the truth about all that, but at the time it was like, okay, like he was very focused on music and very focused on hanging out. And it was weird to me because of how, how poised to be insanely massive Seosan was at the time. But so he just asked me like, Oh, you, do you want to like start a side project? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. And didn't really think about it much. And then, um, you know, it was, it was over a course of a few days and he kept asking and, then like right before he was about to go, he's like, dude, um, I, I think I'm going to quit. And I was just like, <laughs> and I was like, wait, I was like, what? He's like, but you have to promise me like, like, will you be in a band with me? Like for real, like for real. And I was just like, I just didn't even think about it. I was just like, yeah, dude. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, I, you know, I just didn't think about it at all. <laughs> it's like, and, uh, I also did not think he was serious at all. Like I really did not think he was serious. Um, but. He has some kind of. I remember this even way back then. He, ha- he just the way he talks about things or something like that. You just you just believe in him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, yes, I'm with you. He would he would make the best politician in the world. Oh like, yeah, he, yeah. He I would believe everything he said. I actually, Colin, I remember this. Uh, Anthony called me because remember I lived like you know like 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes away. He yeah. called me. He was like, yo, come over. We're hanging out. And I was like, all right. It was the summertime. It was nice out because I remember his uh, parents' pool was open. Uh-huh. And I came over. You were sitting at the kitchen table. You were working on some massive collage. Like your the whole kitchen table was like magazines and <laughs> textbooks. And you were like cutting things out and layering them. And you had all this fabric and all this. And I was like, 
what the fuck did I just walk into? I'm like, what's going on? And I remember Anthony, I don't know if he was so, but he definitely was smoking. Cause he, I remember he came up to me and he would like grab me by the shoulders. He's like, we're starting a band. And I was like, okay. Uh, like right now you guys are just starting one now. Is that what's going on with the kitchen stuff? Like what's happening? And, and, and then he's like, got to come up with a name. And I was like, okay and that's when people started throwing names around and i remember the one that came up and he was like i like that one it was la cosa nostra uh-huh and he was like yo we gotta call somebody because i we gotta Dude, figure out if we can use this we got very we got very very close to, we were like yeah. really serious about that and then yeah. uh the, the label dan sanchal was like listen not a good idea like uh you know, this is a, the mafia is going to kill you basically <laughs> like, okay. Anthony got so excited. Cause he was like, he looked up the translation and it, and it meant this thing of ours. Yeah. And he's like, dude, that's the fucking best name I've ever heard. And I was like, yeah, that seems pretty cool. And he, uh, the other thing was, he's like, yeah, the mafia is going to kill you. And there was another <laughs> band from, I think Southern California called Cosa. Like it, it wasn't La Cosa Nostra, but it was like, yeah. Cosa Nostra or something along those. It was very, very similar to it. And I was like, well, if they're not dead yet, I mean, you know, you guys got a chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, was, it was pretty funny. I mean, we, we had a lot of different names. I think that collage thing you were referencing, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I feel like that was for uh, the High and Driving show because he was doing one of those shows like right around the time that the band that circus started not we didn't have full band members yet i don't think it was just the two of us still but uh yeah he asked me to like make some posters for high and driving show i, I mean that could have been it or or i could have just been on some weird fucking creative thing i don't know that that's really funny though that's a funny memory we posted that collage tommy did we tj sent me a uh image of that oh shit now, I yeah. got to go look back through it because I, 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 I have a vivid memory of what it looks like. I want to see if my memory lines up to reality. He made me make three, so it might not be that one. I made three different ones. I remember all, I have, I think I have po- photos of them. I remember when Circus Survive was forming, it was just going to be like you and Anthony, Colin. Well, that's how it started. Um, we We knew it wouldn't remain just us, but I think the idea was that you know, we'll be the guys and then we'll just get people to do whatever. And yeah, because uh, we were kind of just like over the whole interpersonal dynamic of dealing with a bunch of people. And uh, yeah, so that was the initial idea. But that 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 went to shit real, real fast. We're like, <laughs> you know, Brendan, Brendan got his way in really quickly. And then and then I was like, all right, this is this is definitely going to be just a band. Like we're all going to be <laughs> equals. And actually that became one of the, the, the founding principles of the band really. Like once we had everybody in place, it was like, okay, we're forever splitting everything equally and it doesn't matter who writes what, and it doesn't matter who does what. And like, this is a fucking full fledged democracy. And, uh, and we're basically communists, and if Brendan has a $3,000 credit card bill and Colin has a $5 credit card bill, that doesn't mean that everyone gets, you know, $3,000. It means we pay off each bill and that's it. And it was like, that was kind of the way we operated. It was just like, the operation is keep the band going. It's not give anyone more money. You know, it's like, that was just the way we operated for years. That must be why you've had such prolonged success and 
you're one of the few bands who has all original members. It's true. I mean, I do think that there's something to that. I think that I think that a lot of bands the second they they uh, decide to start like chopping up the the money in different ways uh, is probably the beginning of the end. When uh, Jim Ward was on the show recently, he said bands are a lot uh, bands are very political and you know, there's dinners happening where people are trying to convince people of shit and has anyone ever tried to steal you away from Circus Survive or worm their way in like hey if you got rid of this guy i could do things a lot better (laughs) um you know the closest there ever was to anything like that was probably when we were um you know right when we got out of our deal with evr like when we finished our contract and we were Mm -hmm. taking you know we were taking meetings with like every label ever and every manager ever um you know like there is tons of just total creeps that you meet with that try to sell you some idea of, of what they can do to make you better. But I don't remember anyone ever kind of coming with that angle. I'm sure Anthony got that. I I'm sure I would be on the other end of that though. I would be, I would be part of the dead weight, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, you know, but like for us, it was like always just the, you meet with like these guys that, they think that you want to be a rock star. So they just feed you everything coming from that angle. And like, we couldn't be further from that. So it was always just like a calamity. It was like, always like a, like a total, like just, I don't know. I, I got such a kick out of it because some of these people that would try to woo us, like they would bring us like these gift bags full of like all this like fancy swag and like stuff. And, we would just like throw that shit in the garbage, like right after they gave it to us. And like, like, like so many people wasted money on us and it was the best. I I thought it was so funny. Did any creepy manager ever try to ply you with like cocaine or women or anything like that? Um, I mean, there was plenty of drug stuff, uh, in that, in that time frame. It was really weird. Shit was really weird because we had, uh, we, our, relationship with our manager was getting really strained and and we were in a place where you know i just think we we had been touring for like four and a half years straight and yeah i mean all of our all of our brains were a little melted at that point i think and Mm -hmm. so yeah I, i i'm sure there was dumb stuff like that i'm sure there was managers bringing around you know just the typical rock and roll cliche stuff um for me those were the years where i was just completely drowning in whiskey i mean i just (laughs) was i was barely around when all that stuff was going on i just felt like i don't know i don't know i I couldn't handle a lot of that stuff like the schmoozing with people and trying to act like i cared about what they were talking about it was really really difficult we bought you guys all leather pants (laughs) Uh, what (laughs) what happened to that girl that joined the band for a little bit Oh, Camille. Um, honestly, you know, she was, she was a friend who, you know, her and I initially had a romantic thing and then became pretty good friends. And then, I mean, she, I mean, she's lovely. Like we're still friends and stuff. Um, it was just like, I think the combo of personalities at that time, we were still trying to figure out what the band was and she was still trying to figure out like, like how to play her instrument, you know, like she wasn't totally comfortable yet with 
playing keys and um i think like i think she bit off more than she could chew at that point and we were moving at such a fast clip you know and i think she i think it was just starting to become too much for her and uh, at a certain point it was just like all right this really isn't working and um but yeah camille's cool and she's she'll still come out to shows and hang out and stuff and we're still in a good place so colin do you when anthony was on the show he thought he said he thought i hated him because like I don't know. I guess I'm kind of standoffish, but it's it's because I always imagine people are bothering him and asking him for things, and I didn't want to be one of those people. Of course. So, and so he said no one ever hits him up for anything, and I don't believe that for a second. I think he's being humble. So my question for you, Colin, is do, do people ever hit you up for wacky stuff? Design my album cover for free. <laughs> yeah, or like play on this song or, or just any like some kind of really weird request, like write a song about me or anything like that. I mean, I've definitely gotten hit up with some, you know, pretty strange requests over the years. Um, these days, I'm pretty, I, I've gotten it down to a science of how I interact with people in that way. I mean, I'm really clear about my rates as an artist, <laughs> so, you know, right <laughs> off awesome. the top. Uh, I'm just like, oh, you want me to do your album cover? Sure. This is how I work. Also, I need to hear your band first and make sure I want to do it. And then yeah. there's a bunch of other hoops you got to jump through. Um, but, you know, when it comes to like, I don't know. Yeah, like just weird, w- weird things. I'm trying to think of something. There's always, you know, once in a while, there's just always somebody that will um, ask something that just makes me like, I'm just like, wow. Yeah, I like, want to know one of those. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a weird one that when it. I was in Audience of One, and Keith knows I was notorious for this. Apparently, I used to take my shirt off a lot. I think that was a common theme of Audience of One shows, as I didn't have a shirt on. I remember somebody asked me for my shirt one time, and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, the shirt. And I was like, no, what am I going to wear home? And they're like, I'll get you one. I'll get you a shirt to wear. And I was like, what a weird thing to ask. And in my head, I'm going like, do you have no social awareness? Like you just don't understand like how like interactions with other people work. And in my head, I'm going like, this person probably went somewhere and was like, yeah, he probably told, yeah, he was like going to give me a shirt. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't even fucking want it. I was like, yo, you're like David Lee Roth, dude. People are asking for your fucking clothing. It was like a goofy, no, because it was like a old Rolling Stones t-shirt that I had that I cut the sleeves off of, and it it was a fucking sick shirt. I I would ask for it too. But so, Colin, I want to <laughs> I want to hear a hilarious oddball request you've gotten. Um, well, y- you know, I was thinking about it, and I think the reality is the reason why Anthony thinks nobody hits him up for stuff is because they all hit me. to to, to go through him you know like they're all asking me to get anthony to do stuff for them um so i think that that's probably i like i my uh my one friend cave on um from san jose like i've told him how many times people will like hit me up to try to get to anthony and then so as a joke he made me a hat that just said where's anthony because like (laughs) because like because you know people are like what's your most frequently asked question and i'm like where's anthony you know like that's that's the question people ask me the most and uh so i actually wore that hat after shows for like a whole tour and like 
it was really funny to see the reactions of people when they would come up because like you could tell who was actually about to ask me that because they would see the hat and be like, oh, oh, like, <laughs> you know, kind of like, yeah. oh, it's a thing. Right. Okay. I probably shouldn't ask you that. Um, but, you know, that that is probably the most annoying thing is like how many people will just try to get to him through you. Yeah. And um so over the years, it's just been like trying to develop a way to like politely say like, listen, I can't go ask him to call your mom for you or whatever it is you want me to get him to do right. um, because we wouldn't be friends anymore if I did that. Not because it, I would be upset, but because he'd be like, dude, why are you doing this to me? Like, right. you know, like if he wants to be around, he'll be around. Like I'm not his keeper, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, so that's probably, that's probably the stuff that is, is usually people asking crazy stuff for Anthony to do. And they'll ask me, <laughs> <laughs> do you get nervous sometimes when people are random, people are talking to you and saying something nice? I do now with the podcast. Cause like, I'll be talking to someone and they'll be saying something nice. And I'm like, Oh no, are they going to ask me for something? Like, do you get that too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I think that in general that that was like a really tough learning curve uh for me over the years of like you know the band getting any kind of success and then realizing that there's people that kind of want to use you for that and yeah do just get something from you for myself it's like i i have this weird philosophy of like just always wanting to give you know and and so it, it put me in a lot of like weird situations where you know i had to like really learn how to create healthy boundaries and um because I'm, I'm like a people pleaser you know me and too. so like even just saying like to you a couple weeks ago like i really needed to to like not record that day you know yeah and, and it's not a big deal right but no but like for me you know, it, it's actually a huge indication of growth for me that I was able to just communicate that in a normal fashion to you and be like, hey, is this possible without this long drawn out like, you know, oh, my God, like all this stuff was happening and like, blah, blah, blah. Like, would there be any like, you know, just asking for what I want or what I need um, was it took me a really long time to get to that point. And sometimes that was also me like asking someone to like get the fuck out of our dressing room, you know, in a polite way or like, you know, whatever it is like asking, asking for space, asking for like agency and realizing that I don't have to say yes to every, every single thing people ask me to do. Um, you know, there are days where I'm just feeling nice. And if someone comes up to me with a record that has every signature on it, other than one guy then I'll go hunt them down for them, but I'm not going to do that every fucking day. And you know yeah, what I mean? that's that's my approach too. Like I, I'm involved in a couple of things where I meet a lot of new people all the time who mm -hmm. may or may not need help. Right? Sometimes I'm in a great mood and I'm like, "Yeah, man, give me your phone number. I got you." Sometimes I'm in a place where I can't even look people in the eye. Right. And if I'm in that place, someone else is going to step up and help somebody or do whatever needs to be done. And I'll do it when somebody else is in that phase where they can't look at people. So. Yeah, I mean, we can't be everything for everyone all the time, sadly. No. And, and I think for me, it was like learning 
you know, this was a huge uh, thing over the years of like some of my like psychedelic journeys and then also in therapy. It was like, ask, I have to ask myself before I extend, you know, help to someone else, like, is it about them or is it about me? Yeah. And, and, you know, really, I, I should be in a place where I'm genuinely wanting to help someone else um, just because and not because of, of like what I think it it means about me, you know, like what what it says or um, yeah, I don't know. Like there's just definitely some personal work there I had to do to not be such a people pleaser and really kind of avoid the after effects of what that's what that does to you if you just constantly do that. Yeah, like I used to do insane people pleasing stuff. Like people would call me and say like, "Oh, can you find this drug?" and I'd be like, "Yeah," and I'd go and get it and not even <laughs> mark it up or anything. Like yeah. <laughs> and then wait around for the person to come get it and and like, "Why?" Like, "Oh my god." What 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 I don't know. I I was just like way too nice. Before I do anything, I always check my motives now. Like I I stop yeah. and I'm like, "Check your motives." Cuz I'll I like sometimes I'll be going to you know, bang out a text in the group, one of the group texts, and I'll be like, wait, why are you saying this? You're yeah. saying this because you want people to know about X. You don't, there's no reason to share this information right now. And then I'll like back it out and, you know, mm. so I'm always checking my motives. Yeah, that's good, man. I mean, that that is, it sounds simple, but it's really hard to do. And I think, uh, yeah, man, for for me, it's definitely a thing where, I've had to realize that, you know, um, I, I can't be concerned with what other people think about me um, when it comes to, you know, like just uh, requests that are that are that are kind of like a little too much. Um, and I, I think I was really sensitive to the whole like, um, I don't know, people think like if you if you are in a band like ours that you have this idea about yourself like you're a fucking rock star and that you know anything you do can be misconstrued as you think you're better than somebody else and it's like that's so far from the case you know like most of the time i'm just trying to like you know scrape myself off of the fucking bed to just get out and do stuff um and sometimes i just really can't interact with people in the way that they want and um that can easily when you're when you're in a tour bus or you're, you know, you're out there on the road, like, or you have any kind of like, you know, just success going on in the arts. It's like, people will perceive that as like ego and not, yep. not think about the fact of like, Oh, well maybe this dude has like, you know, anxiety problems or is struggling with depression or dealing with some other shit in his personal life, you know? Or just doesn't fucking feel like it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, like if I'm know. if I'm working at a sandwich shop and I'm an asshole, I'm just an asshole. But if I'm in a <laughs> band and I and you take something I did the wrong way, oh, he's an egomaniac who thinks he's great. <laughs> no, no, that's that's your projection of the of what's going on. Yeah, totally, man. And for the longest time, like my my like biggest fear was that someone was going to think I was an asshole, you know? And yeah, it's like, dude. That's sometimes you could do, you could bend over backwards, you know, three times for somebody and they could still think you're an asshole. So it doesn't matter. Just gotta. Exactly. I feel like I go pretty far out of my way to try not to be an asshole mm -hmm. and, and be nice. 
But there's still a lot of people who think I'm an asshole, so you totally. can't please everybody. Nope. No. Well, Colin, uh, I have something special planned next. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. In honor of you coming to the show, we're bringing back an old bit of ours. It's time to play. Who would headline? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is when we take two bands, right? And we have to guess who would headline. We've got band A, band B. We take into account Instagram followers, influence, how long have they been around, how long have they not been around. And you, Colin, have to guess who would headline. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Here's our first question. All right, who would headline? Neurosis or Isis? <laughs> Fuck. When? We're talking about right now? Right now. Okay. All right. Um, damn. That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say if tomorrow they played a show together that I think Isis would headline. Colin... I'm afraid you are wrong. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the answer is Neurosis. Neurosis, they're the godfathers. I, I agree. Think, I think they're going to headline no matter what, even though Isis hasn't been around for a while and hasn't played and have been mostly inactive. I think, I think it's going to be Neurosis every time. You know, you're probably right. Um, I mean, they're certainly deserving of headlining. I think in my head I was just like, you know, Isis being gone for so long and I feel like they've gotten bigger since they since they broke up. Um I thought, you know, maybe they would take it, but you, I think you're right. I think you're right. Also keep in mind this game is mostly made up, so like <laughs> I was going to say this is the other thing with Isis trying to book a show now and somebody's like, "Who are you going to go see?" Isis. People be like, "Wait, the terrorist group?" Uh, like, they, you know, they like, go by Celestial now. Oh, that's all they go by? Yeah. Um, oh, so they are playing shows? They played the Caleb Schofield benefit. Ah, okay, cool. But I think that's it. All right, question number two. Mew or May? Ah, uh, Mew. Definitely. Colin, you are correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The answer is Mew. All right. Now this next one's going to be interesting. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Circa Survive. Or dance, Gavin, dance. I'm gonna say co-headline, and we we'd probably switch switch hit. Colin, the answer is <laughs> no. You are incorrect. The answer is Circus Survive. You always pick your own band, no matter what, strictly out of principle. Oh fuck! <laughs> All right, final question. Are you ready? Okay. Now, we, you may have heard me and Mike Shaw talking about a potential EVR fest in the future, mm -hmm. where this day forward may or may not reunite uh, if the fest ever happens. So, let's say tomorrow there's an EVR fest. Who would headline? Armor for Sleep or This Day Forward? Good lord. Uh, well, I guess I have to learn from my mistakes and just say This Day Forward, since that would be my band. Colin? That's right. <laughs> you do not play a reunion show unless you headline. Uh, yeah. There you have it, folks. Another edition of Who Would Headline. And we are very honored to have...
Colin Francis said with us here today to play. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to future renditions of Who Would Headline. And this is the part where I just wait for the music to run out. <laughs> there you go. It's a great song. Well, Colin, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. We were looking forward to this a lot. We covered a lot of ground. You know, we've been friends for a really long time. You and Mike Shaw and Pat got me into hardcore, and hardcore is, and the scene and all of our friends is the music that defined my whole life, basically, taught me the ideals that I still hold on to dearly today, and taught me about getting my head outside of, like, the bullshit that we learn in Levittown, Pennsylvania, and just shit, I don't know, I got to go on tours with you and This Day Forward, and it's memories I look back on fondly all the time, and it's all come full circle, and here we are now having this conversation, and I think that's awesome, so I just want to say thanks a lot for uh, for coming on the show. Dude, my pleasure. It was a total blast, and uh, those were incredible times. Definitely, uh, I think, just as crucial for me in every way, so... And I think about uh, that time that we ate mushrooms in Hollywood a lot. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. It yeah. was quite, you know what? quite the night. <laughs> we're going to have you back, and we're going to cover more This Day Forward mythology, more Circus Survive mythology, and we are going to cover the story of that trip as well, because that's something I think about a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about that night, for sure. A hundred percent. Tommy? I just want to thank Colin for coming on. I know you're a busy, busy person, and uh, I really do appreciate that you took the time to come on. And here's the other thing. When we were young, you were always so kind to me. Like You were always so nice to me. And I remember the one time I met you at the diner, and everybody else had just left. And you were like, I'm going to go meet up with my friend Cuz. And I was like, okay. Oh, God. And you were like, you going to come with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we listened to (laughs) Dillinger's Escape Plan in your car and smoked and hung out for like two hours. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Do Holy shit. I, oh my dude, God. I was going to say, as soon as I said, I was like, I don't know if he's going to remember this, but I was like, I'll throw, I'll throw cousin there and see if that rings a bell. <laughs> dude. Holy shit. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Shadiest drug dealer of all time. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. man. Love you, dude. They're always super Thank kind you. to me. And, and even when I go see Circa, like, come over and give me a hug. It's always super nice. It's always so nice to see you. And I, I, I just appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come and talk to us. Oh, dude. Total blast. Thanks for having me. There you have it, folks. Colin. Frangicetto. That was a very awesome, well-rounded discussion. You know, I used to get anxious about like, I don't know, I used to like to move chronologically through the music and the bands and all that stuff. But I'm I'm kind of almost glad when that doesn't happen and we just do a mishmash of conversations, which is what we did. I like that, you know? I think it flows better like that. Yeah. I don't want to like be like, all right, now we're going to talk about this. Now we're going to like... It it just moved nicely. We covered a lot of ground. And then another thing, I don't get anxious when we don't cover enough ground because I'm like, oh, they can come back and then yep. we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. 100%. If you're just having a conversation with somebody, if 
it flows better and also people tend to be more engaged like what they're talking about they actually are like oh yeah this is what we're focusing on this is what i want to talk about uh rather than be like hey talk about the you know the mixing process for this record people are like oh okay (laughs) yeah and i just love this format because you know i've been in a group text with colin and others for what 10 years 10 years now (laughs) and you know we send memes and talk about stuff and whatever but like we don't have conversations like that. I haven't talked to Colin one-on-one regularly since, I don't know, since I was out on the road with them when they were in This Day Forward. Yeah. So the fact that we can sit down like this and really jump into stuff and I can ask him questions I've always wondered about is a great thing. And I say it all the time, but fuck, I like it. I like it too. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, we wouldn't, co- like, I wouldn't be on the phone with you and conferencing Colin and be like, Colin, tell us about your philosophy on uh, psychedelics. He'd be like, are you guys okay? Yeah. You know? like, but like, <laughs> put it in the context of a podcast and it's all good. Yeah, exactly. There's bands that have been around for a very long time and are very successful and have had a huge impact on people. And people mention it to me and I'm like, I don't know about that. I've never heard of them. <laughs> or I've heard the name and I've never heard them. Like the Beatles? Yeah, that's a look. <sighs> I, I, that's, the, that's the noise the baby makes when she doesn't like something, when you hand her food. It's like, Do you like the Beatles? Uh, no, not really. I think there's about three songs I, I really actually enjoy. Okay. Uh, I really like that song Blackbird uh, mm-hmm. because I learned how to play it on acoustic guitar when I was much younger. And uh, it's just one of those songs that kind of stuck with me. And it's nice because it, it is literally just acoustic guitar and, you know, Paul McCartney singing. I think it's, I, I will say this, I think it's incredible when an artist can pull off an acoustic song and it's good. Yeah. Because I, I don't like most acoustic music. I think a lot of it is cringe. But when I hear something and it's really good, I'm like, wow, now that is a, that is a big feat right there. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the times I think it, with the Beatles, it's been relegated to like, this is a, this is the part in the movie where people are doing something. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like very Forrest Gump kind of like <laughs> like yeah. It's like they you know they always play Fortunate Son when someone goes to Vietnam. <laughs> like it's like the same thing that, that happens with like the Beatles. It's like all right, it conjures an image, and I just don't really care. Let's take care of some show business, huh? Yeah, let's go. All right, we are one follower away from three thousand followers on Instagram. As I talk right now, that could obviously change by the time this goes up. But if you're not, if you're a listener and you're not following us on Instagram, follow us at the NE scene. I want to finally push us over 3000. I've been waiting and waiting. I'll get my mother to follow us. She just got Instagram the other day. Yes. So we want to surpass 3000 and keep going. If you have not rated us on Apple podcasts, please do so. Some smart Alex have been giving us three and one star reviews. So we're down to a 4.5. We want to be closer to five. So if you listen to us and you like what we do, or even if you don't like what we do, open it up and give us five stars. Come on. Come on. Come Just do on. It. Yeah. And if you write a nice review, we'll read it on the show. You can always write us at northeastscene at gmail.com, right? Hmm? We like that. Do we have to do something else? Do we have to like take this to the next level? Do we have to like book a show or make a shirt or do a Patreon or something? What do you think? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the book a show thing, I always think about like, 
I don't even understand how people did that back in the day. I think it kind of flew under the radar, but like in terms of like liability insurance and all the other stuff that you would have to really go through to make sure it was like on the up and up, it's like the bands are going to get paid $8. We're going to get paid zero. And you know, it's going to be a whole lot of work for nothing. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just do something, you know, that's more along the lines. Please don't make shirts. That's the only thing. I always, I, I have this nightmare. Like we're going to make shirts and then we're going to get like 250 of them. And then 10 years from now, I'm going to be going through my basement and be like, Oh shit. Remember we made all these shirts. <laughs> we fucking didn't sell. <laughs> like, Cause if we do make shirts, I am going to make you handle all the shipping. Uh, I'm actually decent with that. I'm good at that. that oh can, yeah, you're you're on eBay buying and selling stuff all the time anyway, so you probably don't mind doing that. Actually, you know what? I've been out on eBay for a while now. Not good with it. I, I got mad. I got mad at them, and well, I, I didn't get mad at them. I just got mad at the idea of like. So in January, I got a a statement from them about how much I've sold, and I had to report it on my taxes. And I was like, yeah. Why does that make you mad? Because it's like before that, it was just like kind of like, you know, walking around money. Like I got money from this and I put it in my pocket or I, I put it towards something like, you know, buying the girls something or like, you know, it, now it's like it gets taxed and it's like, fuck, dude, I don't want to. All I wanted to do was get rid of some old shirts. Like I want to fucking like go like in a whole. This isn't a business. Like that's what if that's what it felt like to me is like as soon as they gave me that, I'm like, this it, this isn't like a business. This is me like. Don't you think the problem is just that you're too chintzy? Yeah, that's probably a big part of it. You know what I didn't realize when I was editing last week's episode with uh, Sky is All Right, and then I was talking about Twitch. You're like, does it cost money? <laughs> and I'm like, no. And you're like, I'm in. <laughs> Cause I, so some, sometimes I miss stuff. So I listened to that, and I was like laughing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I do remember that. Because you were like, "Oh, it's a gaming platform. Does it cost money?" No, God, I'm fucking in there. I don't want to pay money for stuff. I I constantly think about ways that I can save money. And actually, I, I got this in my head over the weekend because uh, on Friday afternoon we have um, assigned parking spots at work. Yes. And I got a text and it was a picture of the back of my car and it was the main secretary in the office. And she was like, is this your car? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, your parking tags weren't on it. And the janitorial staff was like, who's parked here? And I was like, that's weird. And I was walking out to my car and then I looked at all the cars in the parking lot because they're done by like seniority. So like, you know, I have I have parking spot number 17 which means there's only 16 people above me in terms of seniority. So there's like all the, you know, like it's a lot of people that like are in an administration, right? So they have like nice cars. Like it's like Lexus, Lexus, Audi, BMW, BMW, 2008 Honda Civic with rust stains <laughs> like all over it. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, which one of these is not like the other? It looked like somebody just fucking like random dude from Trenton pulled his car in and was like, I'm just going to fucking park here. That's <laughs> so like, they're like, this has to be cheap. Tommy's car. Let yeah. me text him first. And I, I, I thought like for a second, I was like, maybe I should get a new car. And then the other part of me is like, the car still works. It doesn't have any major issues. Just drive the fucking thing. Who cares? Folks, check out the Sonic artifacts podcast. It's my friend, Max. And it's him and his friend from L.A. I think they look at, like, Craigslist music ads from okay. L.A. and New York. It's for gearheads. Like, oh, if you're oh. if you're really into gear, 
you know, they, they talk about the gear and stuff. So if you're into gear, check it out. You might even get a deal if you live in uh, New York or L.A. I think they're going to talk about the base head that I'm selling tonight, so I want to give them a shout-out. Oh, nice. Yeah, so hopefully someone will buy that. Uh, and I'll have another five to $600 in my pocket. Jesus, is that how much that thing's going to go for? I hope so. We'll Holy see. Cow. Yeah, I'm, I have it up for 600 now, and I'm, well, I guess I shouldn't say this publicly, but I'm going to keep dropping it down if it doesn't sell. Uh, I mean, that's the way to go. I mean, especially if it's something you're not using. It's just kind of like taking up space. It's losing value every moment it's in your house, you know? They're literally just decorations. Yeah. I don't use them at all. That's an expensive decoration, man. Exactly. I felt really sad selling the Marshall stack because it was a really nice JCM 800 from 1983. And it's just a, a really nice guitar head and cabinet. And I used it to record the Basement Year album. But, you know, I, I need the money and... It's also the, like, it's the world for you now, like without being able to play like super loud or play like in, you know, in a band, like it's the world's most expensive coaster. Like, you know, what else are you going to do with it? You're going to fucking put a drink on it. And then I used it to, I used it as a clothing rack. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I get attached to inanimate objects. Like I threw out a pair of pajama pants and I felt really sad. I can see that. I have a toy that I never threw out from when I was a kid, and I still have it in a drawer upstairs, and I still kind of don't know why I have it. Yeah, I get attached to certain things like that. Yeah, it's just human nature, I think, with stuff. We just we, we have memories attached to it, and we feel like if we get rid of that, we get rid of the memories. And it's like, it's not that way. It, it doesn't work like that. But, you know, our brains work like that, at least. Exactly. Well, folks, this is another one for the books. Another classic episode of the Northeast scene that you will all love and enjoy, I hope. What do you think about that, Tommy? I don't know. I thought you were going to... Th- I didn't know that sentence was over. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going with it. I was like, did did I just lose connection? Is he going to finish with that? Uh, yeah, no, I think it was great. I love talking to Colin. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing is just... Uh, I like the way conversation goes with him because he has no problem adjusting like in the moment. Yeah. And I love when we're having engaging conversations that just don't run out. Like there's no shortage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually panicked a little bit when I was telling that story about him doing the collage. Cause in my head, I'm going like, I hope he doesn't like in my head. I'm like, I'm going to tell this whole story with all these nuanced details. And he's going to be like, yeah, I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I can't believe that. That was like such a thing. Like I thought that was poignant. Like, and then here we are. Like, no, I don't remember that. He actually did remember it, so that's good. Well, continue to subscribe to us. Yeah. Continue to write to us. Continue to follow us on Instagram. We got to push over 3K. Continue to follow us on Twitter. Because once we get to 205 followers on Twitter, I'm gonna retire my personal account. And only post from the quote-unquote band account. And that's always been a dream of mine. Follow us, subscribe to us, subscribe to us on YouTube, because once we surpass 1,000 followers, we can monetize that shit and recoup some of our costs. Oh, that'd be really nice. I also like, with YouTube, I think that's a cool thing that's like, in that, like, somebody can watch something that we have made and then they get suggestions for other cool shit. That's kind of relate, you know, you know, related to us tangentially. That's cool. I like that. I like that. We're in the bloodstream of the internet. When you Google certain, or when you search certain artists in YouTube, we're like the first thing that comes up. 
Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I subscribe, I like- so you, you get, so it comes up a lot online. <laughs> Listen, I know I made fun of you for YouTube, but I'm I'm on it all day. <laughs> I, I am. I'm on it all day. I uh I I've been making a point to make new playlists on my YouTube just to make sure that I consistently am rotating through music. Cause I found myself listening to the same like 70 or 80 songs. And I was like, I have to deviate from this. So I just went on like a tear this weekend of like new thing, new thing, new thing. And I just added all stuff to a new playlist. So, you know what you should add to it? What's that? Sky's all right. This song, the doom song. Yeah. <laughs> This is a, a song from uh, the Doom Chillax Wad, and I've, I've been looking for it forever, and I just found it. And this is what I play now when I'm waiting for Tommy to join the podcast. Uh, you know what song I, I I put on a playlist and I was like super hyped on, and I haven't heard it in forever. Uh, this song? No, no, no. Wait, wait, listen, listen. Dude, that's so good. Okay. Do you like that? Not really. You don't like it? Not really. Why don't you like it? It sounds like dan- it sounds like kind of like Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Like that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Soon. That's a good song too. Yeah. Come on, dude. <laughs> no, this song I'm super hyped about. Enjoy the silence by Depeche Mode. I like yeah. that song. I like that song a lot. And I, I, it was just one of those ones. I was listening to something, and I was like. Uh, it was I was listening to an old Action Bronson song and he says pump Depeche Mode and I was like fuck I haven't listened to Depeche Mode since I was a kid let me put it on and that was the first song that came up and I was like ooh I love this I'm putting this on a playlist and then I just went on crazy tear just adding stuff it was good they are good did you ever hear the failure cover of Enjoy the Silence no look that up I will have to so good so good All right, folks, we're out of time. That's it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.